Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's September 12th, 1966. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. For a TV show that lasted only two seasons, it is remarkable that everyone still knows the theme tune to The Monkees, <laughs> a zany sitcom about four young men who live by the beach and are in a band and um, have hair. The storylines are a bit surreal and vague, but the tunes were always on point and immediately lapped up by America's youth when the show premiered on this day in 1966. Yeah, and the first episode was called Royal Flush, and they'd actually already filmed 13 episodes. They had all of those 13 in the can. This was sequentially the third that had been produced, but they decided to switch around the order in which they were going to play because of the growing fan base that one of the monkeys, David Jones, uh, had due to the fact that he had already released his own LP called David Jones in 1965. And so he had a bit of a following, and this was a very Davy Jones-heavy episode, and so they were like, Lua, let's rush that one out the door. <laughs> I, I watched this episode and as soon as Davy Jones started speaking, I was like, this is just Frank Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It's the weirdest thing. He's so small and squeaky. <laughs> and he was the hot one. I mean, okay, so <laughs> the good looks of the monkeys. <laughs> it's Davy Jones, <laughs> right. right? Michael Neesmith. Huge, 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 huge gap. Then Mickey Dolan's Peter Talk. They are a strange. They're one of those people. You know how when you go to a flea market and you see a whole table of antiques and it looks pretty good and you think, oh, I'll get something for my house because that looks amazing. But when you go up close and look at each item, you're like, oh, I don't actually want any of these items in my home. <laughs> yeah. that's, what the, that's what the monkeys were giving aesthetically. Beatles from a distance. Yeah, Beatles yeah. from a distance. Yeah, well, Jones was uh, something of a showbiz pro when he was cast in The Monkeys. He'd been the artful dodger in the uh, Broadway production of Oliver. So that's where the Cockney vibe are coming from. He'd been in a shop as his grandson in Coronation Street. There you go. Uh, whereas the others were Yanks and less well-known, although Mickey Dolenz had been a child star as well. Um, and they were thrown together. Now, this story is obviously very well-trodden uh, for anyone who's a fan of the Monkees, but for people who aren't, they are often called the first boy band because they were put together having never met each other or worked with each other ever before into a band purely for the purposes of this TV show. So they were actors first, kind of good-looking second, as you were saying, Rebecca, <laughs> and then kind of third musical talent. And they'd answered an ad which sought quote four insane boys <laughs> 17 to 21 which actually was a pretty good casting call sort of captures the zaniness doesn't it the casting call had two other weird bits in it they said they wanted spirited ben franks types 
and they must come down for interview. And apparently both of those bits in the advert were kind of sly nods to the druggy flower child spirit of the age. So Ben Frank's was this popular Sunset Strip restaurant where apparently mods used to get together over burgers and fries, or as Davy Jones called them, long-haired beatnik weirdos. And the must come down for interview was a reference to being high Uh. and needing to come down and come along to the party. you really had to go to read between the lines. Rad. In your copy of the stage or whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) In your Hollywood reporter whilst high on pot. They're looking for a very particular, ambitious and yet laid back kind of boy. Of course, the the monkeys from the start were being compared to the Beatles, but the programme was the brainchild of a dynamic young producer and a bit of a bohemian himself called Bob Raffleson, who had been in a band and he and his partner, Bert Schneider, decided they were going to make a show that was about, you know, the antics of a group on the road. He said he had this idea before the Beatles were even famous. And yeah, right. yeah, well, who's to say? <laughs> and Raffleson said later that his initial idea was to have a real band playing a fictionalised version of themselves, mm. an idea that obviously would later be perfected with Miami 7, um, <laughs> but eventually decided that it would be easier to create a fake band, which would also be a real band in the sense that they would release records as a soundtrack of the TV show. Bit of synergy, but this ended up getting way out of control. If you've read the myth about Pygmalion, you know, the sculptor creates his statue and it comes to life. This is kind of what happened. He created a fake band and they tore their way out of the screen and became a real band against everyone's intention. Well, but partly because of Raffleson's cool credentials himself, I think. I think that gets underplayed a bit because, yes, he had this nakedly cynical commercial idea. The Beatles are massive. Let's create an American equivalent who look a bit like them. But he himself is absolutely at the forefront of the countercultural movement of the time. He's the director of Five Easy Pieces, right? He was a producer Mm. of Easy Rider. So, yes, he's doing something that is a very, very commercial mainstream idea. But he is coming from that same background himself. He would get all those jokes about coming down for interview. And that's Mm. what's so cunning about what they did, right? When you're watching it... You're not feeling this is the Hollywood sanitised version of hippie culture. It feels like it is part of the conversation. Even in their selection of the band members who came to comprise the monkeys, you know, they they held this casting call where apparently it was this completely sort of off-the-wall affair with Schneider and Raffleson doing these bizarre things to work out effectively how applicants would respond and then deciding whether they had the right stuff. So at one example, they pulled the chair out from under talk and he responded apparently by starting to knock things playfully off the producer's desks in a sort of mock being angry with what had happened to him. So I think they knew what they were looking for and they knew what was going to work. And the flavour of that actually extended out into the show itself when it went to air because they would often end with a fourth wall breaking moment of the monkeys sitting around on set talking about the previous episode, talking about random stuff. Apparently that was initially introduced because sometimes the episodes would end up a minute or two short because they were really, <laughs> the plots were surreal, the editing was really frantic. I can imagine it must have been very difficult to be like, okay, there's our 25 yeah. minutes or whatever. So they would end with these sort of backstage moments. But it it, it was something that set it apart from other things. You know, Raffleson wanted the show to have a sort of avant-garde edge influenced by European films, but most of those gimmicks look so goofy now, like jump cuts and sped-up mm. effects. But the, and that just looks corny now. But the fourth wall-breaking stuff mm. is actually really clever and just really charming and interesting and more than you would expect from... You know, something was obviously created to appeal to tweets. Yeah, I've never watched a full episode of The Monkeys before. I've seen clips and I, I come to realise, watching a full episode, that actually I think all I've ever seen is on daytime TV when they were interviewing a surviving member 
they just show the title sequence. So I, I felt like I'd seen it. I'd actually just seen the title <laughs> sequence, which in itself has lots of clips from other episodes. But sitting down and watching a whole episode, A, it makes absolutely no sense. Like, there is no plot that you can follow, which in itself, of course, was hugely influential in terms of bringing avant-garde comedy into the mainstream. And B, the thing that really stuck out to me was that bit at the end. I thought that whoever had uploaded it to YouTube had accidentally stuck in a bit from a behind-the-scenes DVD. But no, that bit where they're all sitting around on director's chairs was part of the episode. And even now in the 21st century watching it, I was like, well, that's a change in shift. That's quite interesting. That's made me sit up. And I am not a 15-year-old girl from California. And this is the reason that it took almost a year between casting the monkeys and the finished pilot making it to air. They were trying to work out how to make the monkeys into a convincing fake band. And now we think of the monkeys as a band. But if you put yourself in the mindset of the Mm. moment, they were actors who were playing a fake band. So they put them on instruments that they didn't necessarily want to or know how to play. So Davy Jones was the only accomplished drummer, but executives naturally viewed him as the front man. They didn't want him sat at the back. He was already quite small. Don't want him sitting down in the background on the drum kit. So he couldn't do that. So they put Mickey Delance, who couldn't play the drums, on the drums. (laughs) Like the gorilla in the Cadbury's advert all over again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Neesmith and Talk could play the guitar, but somebody had to go on bass, so Talk had to go on bass. And so they were frantically trying to learn to just fake their way through these songs. The problem came when towards the end of the first series, it became obvious that there was huge demand for the monkeys to go on tour as themselves. <laughs> and a bit of a backlash at that point as well, even though they were enormously popular, in that it had come to the attention of the target audience, who maybe aren't reading the music press, um, that they weren't writing their own songs either. Although, again, viewed from this perspective, that's a masterstroke, isn't it? I mean, why would you get four actors to write their own songs when you can employ people like Neil Sedaka and Neil Diamond and Carol King? That's who was writing the Monkey songs. That's why they're great songs still. Yeah, I found an interview with Talk from 1982 where he said, It was a unique phenomenon to be a member of a group that wasn't really a group, and yet it was a group. If we had been a group, we would have fought to be a group, or we would have broken up as a group. But, and this is where it gets sort of slightly less stoned, he said, (laughs) We were a project, a TV show, and a record-making machine. And I think that really is what they were. You know, they became something that was a bit of all of those things and kind of greater than the sum of their parts. Monkey mania, even in the US, however, was short-lived. A lot of it was to do with the fact that all four bandmates had really different visions what they wanted to do and their attempts to dictate the direction of the show. Keep in mind that they're all like 18, 19. I think Talk was the oldest. He was 23. So they were still really young guys, obviously high on the thrill of being in charge of everything and probably high or so. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And NBC cancelled the show after season two. And it was after that that they appeared in Raffleson. It was Raffleson who made that film Head. And they said afterwards that, you know, the film's a flop and it basically killed the monkeys. But afterwards, Neesmith claimed that was actually Raffleson's intention all mm. along. And he was becoming pretty big in the new Hollywood movement. And it seemed like he just wanted to kill his creation. Well, apparently also the film was meant to be called something else before they changed its name to Head because at this stage, uh, Raffleson had in mind that he wanted to go and make Easy Rider and they wanted the poster to be able to read from the guys that gave you head. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. I mean, he's described in some accounts as pain-free, but it's pain-free in the context of having just had an iron bar exit his skull. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.